0: Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. You know, I got a letter not too long ago that I'm violating the Johnson Amendment by talking about particular uh, political issues and candidates, but I just want to say this. First off, I want you to know that I don't read letters unless you sign them, because if you can't put your name to it, I'm not interested, seriously. (laughs) And then the second thing that I want you to know as well is when my government gets to the point where they can threaten me for six months with jail time and with $5,000 fines and they can tell me whether we can open our school or not or our church sanctuary, for them to think that they have some kind of right to say that we can't address our leaders, whether if they want to say whether we can be in our sanctuary, I think that we should be able to say whether they should be in their office. That's just how I feel. So... You know what? Um, that's just the way it is. And so as, we're, uh, as you're leaving today, you might say, well, that's unusual for a church. Well, good. I'm glad. Um, I want to be that church. But all that being said and done, you know, in the state of Colorado right now, they are passing legislation to strengthen abortion in the state. You know, um, here's the bottom line. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I have no interest in being a part of the anti-human movement that is going on in the United States of America. We realize that from the very beginning, when the devil saw that man was created in the image of God, he did everything he could to destroy Adam and Eve and the beautiful earth that God had planned for all of us. So, you know, we're going to continue to stand up for what we believe in, for righteousness, for godly principles, and all those kind of things. So, um, anyway... We're talking about the four horsemen, and I'm the first one on getting on his high horse, right, today? But today we are looking at the four horsemen of the apocalypse in uh, Revelation, and we're going to start reading in, in chapter 6. I want to remind everybody here, when we look at this, we might be uncomfortable with this kind of Jesus. The Jesus that's wrapping everything up. I want you to know something, that God loves this earth and God loves heaven and God loves humanity so much he's not going to continue to let it go as it's been going. And that he has a plan, a purpose, and intention. He is going to jerk the slack out of creation and bring us into the fullness of the glory of whatever he intended. I want, as we're looking at this book today, realizing that when we see the judgments that are going to be released from heaven... On the earth. I'll say it now and I'll probably say it again a couple times during the sermon that this is going to be a great dividing line of seven years that the prophets have been predicting from the very earliest part of the writings of the scriptures they were per- predicting seven years of trouble that's going to come to the earth. The primary focus of the book of Revelation is not the church. It is actually the nation of Israel and how God is going to wrap up his covenant. The church has not replaced Israel. That's a little parenthesis on the earth. As Gentiles have been given the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but God is not done with the Jewish people. He told them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And he's going to bring them into the fullness of their inheritance, the inheritance that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When they receive their inheritance, Jesus is receiving at the same time that inheritance for the nation of Israel, but the inheritance for all mankind. So we studied last week where there was a scroll that John the apostle the follower of Jesus Christ saw a scroll with 7 seals It wasn't a scroll that was rolled up. You can all visualize a scroll where at the end of it, there were seven seals in a row. No, it wasn't that at all. When you looked at the scroll, there was one seal on the end and you could unravel the scroll and then you would hit another seal and it would stop unrolling. You'd have to break that seal and you could read the next part. Now, this was all part of the uh, the picture of the scrolls in the nation of Israel where if someone got into great personal debt, Someone else, a relative, a relative could step up and redeem for them their inheritance that they had lost. So whether they had hit upon hard times or bankruptcy or whatever it might be, they had to sell their land. Well, God said that land is yours. That's your inheritance. They would have to sell it, but a relative could come in and buy that land for them. That's why Jesus Christ came as our kinsman redeemer. Because our kinsman redeemer said, you were in debt to God. You had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus Christ came, God in flesh, as a man to gain back for us as a kinsman, a relative, what we had lost. The unwrapping of the scroll then, when the kinsman redeemer would redeem that land, they would have a scroll and each part would be read up to the next seal of what was being restored back to the original owner. As we're looking at this passage in Romans chapter 7, John the apostle saw a great scroll, and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, is the one who was worthy to break the seals, the seven seals of the scroll. We're going to see as each seal is broken, a, something is released upon the earth, and it's Christ reclaiming What was lost, the inheritance. God loves you so much and every human being. He didn't intend for the world or for your life to unfold as it has as you have faced the effects of, of sickness, disease, sorrow, loss, death, all the things that hurt humanity, poverty, lack, all these things. It wasn't God's original intention and God is going to end it someday and is going to wipe the tear of the, uh, in the eyes of humanity So that's God's purpose and intent. So as we're looking at this, I want you to understand, you're saying, why is Jesus being so aggressive on the earth? That's not how he was when he walked the earth. But I want us to understand that book of the Revel- during the book of Revelation, there is going to be such a drawing of the line that everyone's going to know they're on the, fault, the side of Messiah or on the side of the Antichrist. There's not going to be any in between. So when these judgments are coming upon the earth and upon the wicked, understand this, the wicked have decided to remain in the lie of the Antichrist. There, the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, the Old Testament prophets, this book of Revelation, the prophecies revealed by the Apostle Paul about the last days that are coming. The world is going to be reading it. The world is going to know all these days were prophesied, and no one is going to be without an excuse. Um, no no one's going to be able to have an excuse. So let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 6 and 7 up to eight, one. Listen, I know you're drinking from a fire hose. You're going to be able to listen to these sermons again during the week, and some of the things that I can't touch on, or if I hear some questions, we I have a little daily devotional that will flesh out this story a little bit further for you. So we're going to look at some things, and you might say, oh, you didn't answer all my questions. I can't answer all your questions because we would seriously, I'm a concern, bogged down in this, and I don't want anyone getting lost along the way. You've heard about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I'm pretty sure you have. In the breaking of the first four seals, there are four riders that are released from heaven by the hand of God, commanded by angels to be released upon the earth. And then we'll see the effects of the breaking of all of these seals. Now, I want to say this, that the breaking of these seals is towards the beginning of the book of Revelation. It doesn't mean that all these events only happen during the first part of the seven-year tribulation period. These are going to be effects that last throughout the entire seven years. But as we're watching this, we're going to see that God from the very beginning is in control. And I want you, you say to me, Pastor Jim, it's bad enough out there. Why should I come to church and hear how bad it's going to get? Because my role and obligation as a pastor to each and every one of you is that you might be prepared for whatever day is coming. I also want you to know that Jesus said, when you get into the night, don't forget what you learn during the day. The time for me to teach you about when it gets really dark is when, not when it's really dark. People will be in a panic mode. You have to learn in the day to be equipped to face a very dark time. Now, I also want to say this, that the prophet Isaiah said that when darkness covers the earth and deep darkness of people, I will rise upon you and my glory will be seen upon you. So no matter what, do not enter into a spirit of fear because there is a glory, which is the release of the provision, the power, the blessing, the miraculous life that God has for every believer. So even though it might get dark and even though there listen, there are some people today that are going to lose their life because simply because they're a follower of Jesus Christ and they're going to be persecuted. But the reason that they're able to face that is because they know what it looks like in heaven and that God is in control. So we're going to look at these verses today understanding that God is in control. Can you say amen to that? All right. So let's look at the first seal. Revelation chapter 6 verse 1. The first seal releases a white-horsed rider. He is a conqueror. It says this, then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and the one who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So here we find out that this, this rider is released from heaven. So while we're seeing that there are bad things that are on the earth, understand this. God never loses control. And even he is the one that's determining the timing of all these things. The commandment is a commandment to come. And the commandment comes not by even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It doesn't come by God who's seated upon the throne. But it's a commandment that comes by an angel. And that's important for us to understand that this is not Jesus Christ riding on a white horse because no angel's commanding Jesus what to do. Now, why did I bring that up? Because here's a white horse rider when the first seal is broken. At the end of the book in Revelation chapter 20, we read about Jesus being the white horse rider. So some people say, oh, this is Jesus coming at the beginning and coming at the end. But no, this one is commanded by an angel to be released from the heavens. Now, we also understand this, that when we compare the white horse rider is Jesus at the very end of the seven years to claim everything that's rightfully his. He comes in power, he comes in glory, and he comes with the angel armies and the human armies of heaven following him in, in, in his conquering and putting down evil once and for all. But I want you to know that this, Rider on a white horse is a cheap knockoff of the authentic. Jesus is the great white horse rider. It says concerning him that his name on that white horse at the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 19, his name is faithful and true. His eyes are a flame of fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood And his name is called the Word of God. And from his mouth comes a sword. As I look at this passage we, uh, right here, I'm looking at a man who's being commanded by an angel, a man whose crown was given to him and he's only got one crown where the white horse rider, Jesus Christ himself, is crowned on his head with many crowns. And he has eyes of a flaming fire and he's dipped, his robe is dipped in the blood of his own sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. No, this conqueror is not sacrificing himself for a great cause on the earth. He goes forth as a conqueror. I want us to understand today that there's coming a day upon the earth where the earth is going to cry out for a great conqueror who will come and just kind of figure things out. As I watch the news and I'm watching the leaders of the nations around the world, including our own, I don't have a lot of confidence that they know what they're doing. I don't think they can speak beyond a teleprompter to tell you the truth. And as we look at all of this, we understand that the world is going to start crying out and ask themselves, who is going to deliver us from this time of trouble? That's coming upon the earth. The reason why I know that there's been other times of wars that needed to be strengthened out, but never has the stage been set for the global movement that we're seeing right now the establishment of a one world government, the establishment of of a one world religion, and all these things that are prophesied in the book of Revelation. So this man is riding forth. He's a strategic victor, he can manage nations, he can win victories. The world is going to come and love love and honor him. That's why he's been given a crown. I believe it means he's been given a crown by the world. He'll rise up through the ranks. There's a possibility right now that the Antichrist is on the earth and he's rising up through the ranks. I'm not saying that the seven years prophesied of trouble coming upon the earth are here yet, but this is a man that's going to earn a crown. He'll be a great negotiator, he's going to be diplomatic. He'll be able to draft treaties. And the Bible actually teaches us that he's going to rule by flattery. If someone flatters you, run for your life. But he's going to flatter everybody. A flatterer is a manipulator. The book of Proverbs warns us about a man who has a winking eye, who goes around winking at people. It's not a good thing. Some guy, ladies, if some guy winks at you, run for your life, okay? (laughs) Okay. He wants more than just a smile. So, as we're looking at this, we're realizing that this white horse rider is actually the, the elevation, the rising up of the one who is called the Antichrist. Now, if we remember back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Daniel, hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, predicted that one is going to come. Let me read for you from Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. It says this. After 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Do you remember, we looked at that. The Bible actually predicts the date of Jesus being crucified as the Messiah, hundreds of years before he came. You can't make that stuff up. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Look at that. When the Messiah is cut off, The prince of the people who is to come, the prince, that's this white horse rider, small white horse rider, who is to come will be tied to the one that destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem, which was the Romans. The Messiah will be cut off, the date was predicted, and the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, will destroy the city and the sanctuary when the Messiah is crucified, but he's going to come back again. And its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war, desolations, will be determined. So let me help you to understand here. Jesus predicted seven years period. It's called the great tribulation period. It will be released when the first seal is released from heaven. And that is the one who is the Antichrist. He will be attracted to the nations. He will be elevated. He will rise to the ranks. He will be given a crown and he will create a certain sense of peace upon the earth. But Daniel warned us that halfway through that seven year period, at three and a half years, this one who makes covenants for nations and makes a covenant with the nation of Israel suddenly will be overcome by Satan himself, the very one who tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and caused them to lose their inheritance is going to be active again at the end. He wants, when he's noticing that the, his time is short and things are wrapping up, and there's going to be the inheritance one again for Jesus. He's going to rise up and he's going to try to treat I'm, I'm sorry, to beat Jesus, to sit on the throne in Jerusalem in the temple. He's a cheap knockoff of the real deal. Three and a half years after making a covenant with Israel and being a peacemaker, Satan is going to enter him. He's going to try to um, destroy God's inheritance for the nation of Israel. He will break a covenant with the nation of Israel. And when the Jews see that this one who made a covenant suddenly wants himself to be God, literally, this is not swearing, hell will break loose upon the earth and wickedness is going to have it have its day. So he's the one that is going to make covenants that he will break, but he will control the banking systems of the world. what one what, what of the Reasons why I believe that we're getting set up for the last days is this whole idea of electronic currency. It's not being backed up by gold. You will have money that's in the bank, but by the push of a button, it can disappear because it's not real. They will tell you how much is in there. They can decide whether you can spend on certain things, whether you can buy something or not buy something. They might say to you, hey, your carbon footprint is too big. You can't use your money to buy gas anymore this month or to heat your home. Or whatever it might be we're seeing those things come to pass right now and as we're looking at this the banking system will be under one world system a ruling over commerce, deciding whether you can buy or sell, and that will be determined by whether you receive the mark of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, when Satan fills him in the second three and a half years. He will determine the destiny of your bank account, whether you can buy or sell. And so he'll control communication and information. He'll be able to silence your voice. He will determine whose voice can get out there and whose voice will be silenced. He'll be a brilliant politician. He's going to be able to manipulate um, things like the UN, like NATO. He'll establish himself with the nation of Israel. And the world will say, look, someone who finally brought peace to the Middle East... Daniel chapter 8, verses 23 through 25. The reason why I'm giving you so many scriptures, I don't want you to think that the book of Revelation is a one off that, you know, John the Baptist ate too much pizza one night. I mean, John the Apostle, and he had a dream, and he wrote it down. No, these days, these seven years have been prophesied for generation after generation after generation. So I'm going to read Old Testament Scriptures that will prove to you and prove to anyone from the Jewish community who might be listening that this is just merely the fulfillment of what their prophets started on the earth. Daniel chapter 8 said this in the latter part of, of, of the reign of the earth, when rebels have become completely wicked. How many of you see rebels becoming completely wicked, right? Jesus said one of the signs of these times is going to be lawlessness. So when I confronted our local government leaders that threatened me with jail time and with fines, and I said, what about our Constitution? Both times I was responded two different ways. One, well, that's above my pay grade. And secondly, I'm not a constitutional scholar. But that is nothing more than excuses for lawlessness, the highest law of our land. People will do whatever is right in their own eyes. And you can call them on it. But the Bible says there's coming a day when rebels will become completely wicked. And then it says, there will rise a, a fierce looking king. A master of intri- intrigue will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take a stand against the Prince of Pieces. I'm sorry, the Prince of Princes, which is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. This man is going to rise up and try to elevate himself above, above Christ himself, yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. So that's what we're looking at. So he's going to be able to get the nations to rally around him and he will do it because his devastation will be astounding. In other words, you try to rise up against him and your nation can be wiped out. Human power is going to give him his energy to get to where he gets, but Jesus Christ himself is the one who's going to stop him. While he is bringing order to all the chaos on the earth, It's going to be a means by which mankind will begin to say, hey, you know, at least he's calming the wars that are going on and the chaos. And men will begin to say, there's peace finally. We found our leader, and he will be messianic, Christ-like in the way the world views him. Jesus said there's coming a day where men will say, the Christ is here, the Christ is there. And men will say, peace, peace. But then there will be sudden destruction. Now, when I've read that in the past, I thought that Jesus is saying, and I think that it could mean this, there's coming a day when there's going to be Christ popping up everywhere or people with a messianic complex and Jesus, they're going to say, the Christ is here, the Christ is there. But I think that there's actually a better possibility that mankind is going to be saying, look, the Messiah is there. Oh, look, now he's there. Oh, look, he's standing in Ukraine. Oh, look, now the, the, the Christ is standing in Iraq. Oh, look, now he's in the United States, and he's rallying the world together. And the Bible says that when Jesus said this, when people say, peace, peace, that after that, then there's going to be a sudden destruction. So the Antichrist, he could be active, rising up through the ranks somewhere in the world today, but then there's going to come the place where he is a crowned with a favor, and for that seven-year period, he'll be establishing peace, that people are saying this is good, and then Jesus said sudden destruction. That's when Satan enters into him, and he becomes evil and breaks all of his covenants sudden destruction. He will eventually set up a throne in the temple in Jerusalem, and he will proclaim himself God and demand worship. Maybe one of the ways in the first three and a half years of the seven-year time of trouble that he establishes some kind of credibility, is that obviously the Muslim world would have laid down the right for this Messiah person, Antichrist, to rebuild the temple in the first three and a half years. And he makes a covenant with the nation of Israel. Look, I'm going to give you peace. We're going to work this out with the surrounding nations that are against you. Let's begin to build the temple. But when the temple is built, then he steps in to want to sit in the place where the mercy seat actually belongs. So this is the first rider at the breaking of the first seal. Now let's look at the second seal. When he broke the second seal in in Revelation 6, 3, I heard the second living creature say, come. And another, a red horse went out. What is red? The picture of, of blood, of course. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. And that people would kill one another, and a large sword was given to him. Now, isn't that amazing? To the first one was given a conquering ability. He was a, conquering, a conqueror's conqueror. And by that, he was able to bring the peace peace. But then the second seal is broken, and this rider is able to release war and the desire of people to kill one another. And that's why he's riding on a red horse. Now, the Apostle Paul talked about this. I'm going to keep referring to a lot of things so that you understand many godly men have validated this time of trouble and what's happening during this season and the apostle paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5:3 while they were saying peace and safety then sudden destruction there is it's going to be like momentary it'll be like a colorado change of weather it can be one thing one moment and before you know it a red horse rider will be released and peace peace will come into sudden chaos sudden warfare Then let's look at the third seal, the black horse rider. What is he going to bring? The Bible's very clear on this. He's going to release famine. The potential for famine right now, seriously, I'm not here to scare you, but the potential for famine in the very near future is very real. Yeah. Even our president this week told us to be prepared for food shortages. That's not an American problem, it is a global problem. You know, one of the things that is happening since COVID began is the third world is already suffering tremendously concerning famines. We have the Kraibachers here who have a ministry and orphanage there in Haiti. Haiti is under chaos and a lack of food, and of a desire to kill one another. It's amazing. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 5, it says, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come, the cherubim commands him, come. I looked, and behold, a black horse And the one who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not damage the oil and the wine. As we're looking at this passage right here, we realize that this rider on a black horse and we know that black is not a symbol of anything good. He has within his hand a scale, and a scale is the measurement in the marketplace. And there's going to be a great disruption to the economies of the world, which will cause a food shortage and a famine. The last two years of shutting down the economy globally, the impact of that is going to be tremendous we were able to go through it running on the energy of printing American dollars and giving it out to American citizens who decided that it's actually better to sit at home and work than it is to go into the office anymore or to the job site. We have set ourselves up for economic collapse. It is intentional, I believe. It's anti-human, like I said. It's anti-blessing. That's what it is. So when this voice comes out of the midst of it all, the one who carries the scales within his hands is recognizing that the measure in the marketplace tied to economic prosperity is going to create this famine that's going on. When we think about all of that, we have to realize today, if you were reading the newspapers this week, that what's going on in the Ukraine right now, most people don't know. Of all the exported wheat in the entire world, 30% of it comes from Russia and the Ukraine. So wheat alone globally is going to be reduced by 30%. Now that's just what's happening in Russia and the Ukraine right now. Because if you understand, my brother owns a cranberry farm in, in, um, in, in New Jersey. And he told me, we can't afford fertilizer anymore. If you can't get fertilizer, your crops are much smaller. Why can't we get fertilizer? Because most of the fertilizer comes from Russia right now. And Russia's holding on to it. What is happening right now in the production of wheat globally is a pact in the United States because our farmers are saying, I can't afford and I can't get hold of fertilizer for a prosperous wheat harvest. Plus, all of this has happening so suddenly the turnaround for them to be able to get the wheat in order to be able to plant it were past that day already. So America's wheat production is not going to be able to make a difference during a time like this. That's very interesting to me how quickly... By the release of a a situation on the earth, everything can shift. If you look at Ukraine right now, their ports have been bombed. The Black Sea has been mined so that ships can't go through. Crops can't be planted because obviously the farmers are at war. Nations are now refusing to buy wheat from Russia because it's not politically correct, just like we won't buy their oil. Russian insurance on all of their experts has increased by 400%. So if they do increase, it's going to be so costly just to cover their insurance costs. The political and economic costs of trading with Russia has actually become unreasonable. In the first two weeks of March last year, in the first two weeks of March last year, 73 ships left Russia. I'm sorry. Yes, not 73, 220 vessels left Russia with wheat. First two weeks of of March last year, 220 vessels left with wheat. The first two weeks of this March, 73 vessels left. The cost of a bushel of wheat rose from $6.93 per bushel to $11 a bushel just this year. And it's only March. As we look at this, we understand something here is that, first off, I want you to to see this. Jesus gave us examples of how you can feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish so that we could understand the power of the kingdom of God. And I believe in that. This is not a call to the spirit of fear. This is a call for you to understand that God is on the throne. He has never lost control. And the only thing that you need to do today is get on the Lord's side. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Choose this day whom you will serve. Jesus could come again before this day is out. They mocked him the last time and they're mocking him this time. But assure that he came last time he will come again it says that during this time a day's wages uh, it will cost you a day's wages for two pints of wheat a day's wages two pints of wheat is enough to feed one individual it couldn't feed a family you'll have to work all day for that and then after you work all day just for enough wheat to sustain one individual you're not going to have any money left over for your cars your gas your roof over your head for your medicines or for anything else The Lord actually says here, or the voice that came from the throne says, don't harm the oil and the wine. How are oil and wine used? Well, they're used mainly by the rich. It's a luxury. But the Lord says you better reserve anything. But some of us suggested that this actually means that the, uh, the medical system has collapsed. Because if the medical system collapses, we'll have to go to primitive means by which we alleviated pain and tried to dress wounds, the oil and the wine. The Bible is even saying, don't use it because you might have to need it for, for other things. Then finally, the fourth seal is broken, which is the release of plagues, or as we call them today, pandemics. And this rider is on a pale horse, which some have said is pale green. But anyway, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 7, it says, When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, the pale horse, and the one who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, plague, by the wild animals of the earth. When we look at that passage right there, look at the four things that the fourth seal is going to release. A quarter of the earth is going to die by the sword, famine, plague, and wild animals on the earth. Of course, this one, his name is called Death and Hades. He's the only one that's named, which means death, and Hades is the place in the underworld where those who are not washed in the blood of Jesus Christ go after their death. This rider on the pale horse is going to release pandemics and famine and the result of all these things even now when we think about the fact that we are toying with and manipulating diseases even in in um ukraine right it's frontline news there there are things that are going on right now that should cause us to be looking to heaven man and the coming of the lord jesus christ So, killed with the sword, famine, plague, and by wild animals. You say, wow, well, that's just one guy said that. No, what about Ezekiel in chapter 14, verse 21? Hundreds of years before the coming of Christ said, How much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem? Sword, famine, vicious animals, and plague to eliminate human and animal life from it. There will be a lot of death on the earth. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 6 through 8, Jesus described these exact same conditions. He called them the beginnings of sorrow. They will be the birth pangs. So to help you to understand, why would such horrible things be happening to the earth? Because of the depth and the depravity of evil that has infiltrated the earth in order to win it back, in order for Christ to come and to put down evil once and for all. It'll be like the pain of childbirth and the whole earth is going to feel it. The whole earth is going to experience it. This is a moment you say, oh, this is a moment of horror. But you know, the believer understands this is a moment of birthing. Yes. Right. That when, when we get through it, we will forget the pain of childbirth, right? Yes. And the women said, "Amen," right? Amen. Revelation chapter 6 verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the eminent people and the commanders and the wealthy and the strong and every slave and free person hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? This is going to be a tremendously equalizing event. The rich and the poor. The free and the slave. They're all going to be recognizing this is the judgment of the Lord. Let me help you to understand, a lot of people don't know about the book of Revelation, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the prophets in the Old Testament. But when this trouble comes, I'm telling you, people are going to be looking for answers and the reputation that the Bible predicted this is going to spread around the world. Everybody's going to know about it and it's going to create two classes of people. One class of people will say, this proves it, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and the other class of people are going to be the ones who don't repent, and even in the middle of trouble, instead of rather than yielding their lives to the Lord and saying, I'm going to live for the truth, Jesus is the Messiah, they're actually, instead of repenting and getting right with God, they're going to say, oh, mountains, mountains fall on me. They'll run to a cave and say, I hope this thing collapses in the hopes that death is going to alleviate them from the emotional, mental, and physical troubles that they're facing. In the middle of all of that, see what's happening on the earth, you might say, why would God do that? Allow these things to happen to so many people. During this season, people are going to be on the side of the Lord or deliberately hardening their heart against them. You say, how can that happen? Why wouldn't the whole world just say, okay, let's all believe in Jesus? Do you remember that when the plagues came to Egypt and God sent those plagues in order for the Jews to be released under the stranglehold of Pharaoh, that the Jews actually received the blessing of the Lord? They marked themselves with the confession, we are under the blood. But Pharaoh, what did he do? He lost his own firstborn. He hardened his heart against God. So during this time, when trouble is being poured out upon the earth, people are either going to confess or harden. And we're going to see both of those groups as we move further through the book. The kings of the earth and the eminent people will understand that the wrath of the Lord has come and who can stand. So then the fifth seal is broken. And what do we see is revealed during the fifth breaking of the fifth seal we see the souls of the martyrs remember this is Christ reclaiming the inheritance i believe the church has been caught out and that this is a book dealing with how God is dealing with the nation of Israel God is going to during this time reveal to us that there are going to be brothers and sisters who are they johns a jew He's writing about the Jews during this time of great trouble and the awakening and recognition that Christ promised these days. And he's going to see those Jews who are martyred for for saying and confessing, This is the fulfillment of what Christ spoke. Revelation chapter six, verse nine, the fifth seal. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. They were killed because of the word of God. What word? The word is this. This is, these days are the fulfillment of the prophets. And they refuse to change that testimony. If you were to confess when the Antichrist, the knockoff fake Messiah, is rising in power, there are some people that are going to say, no, wait a minute, this was all predicted. And they are going to say, no, Jesus is the real white horse rider. Don't believe this fake one. And because they take that position, they will end up dying as martyrs for the word of the Lord. And because they won't change their testimony, they maintained it. And they cried out with a loud voice, voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who live on the earth? And a right robe was given to each of them, and they were told that they were to rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were to be killed, even as they had been, was completed. Now, one of the, someone might say to me, but Pastor Jim, there's proof right there. The church is going through the tribulation period, and we're going to be martyred. There's a picture of these people right here before the throne. But I want you to just think for a moment that these people that are praying are not praying the prayers of Christians of those who had killed them and those who had persecuted. Jesus said, bless those who curse you and pray for those who use you despitefully. If you remember, Jesus said this, pray the fields are white under the harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the field. The prayer of the church today is that we would see even our enemies come to faith in Jesus Christ. We prayed for the deliverance of their soul from the deception of not understanding who Jesus is. But these people pray a different prayer. They say, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood? on those who live on the earth. See, the lines have been so divided upon the earth that the wicked have chosen to deliberately deny the Lord Jesus Christ and to align themselves with that. And those who say, no, we're testifying. The word and the prophets were true. They are killed. And they know that the prayer of that group of people is not, oh God, save them. No, they've heard the word of the Lord and they have rejected. The lines have been drawn upon the earth. One of the indications to me that we're living in the last days is that we're drawing lines you're either on one side or on the other side and you can't be neutral anymore about anything and that's where everything is meant to go and so this is happening during this prayer lord avenge us see this is different than the way jesus prayed he said father forgive them When Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was being killed, he's a martyr, like these people were martyrs. These martyrs are saying, God avenge them, make them pay for killing us. But what did Stephen say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. These are not Christians who were martyred. I believe the church has already been caught out. These are numbered among those who are the brothers and sisters out of Israel that John is referring to referring to them right now they are given white robes if you remember that john had received the revelation from the lord that the church can receive white robes right now by the washing of the blood of jesus christ these martyrs now maintain the testimony jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophets and when they get to heaven they are given the white robes of the lord We're not going to see. The Lord says, just be patient, wait a little longer. They said, avenge us now, Lord, be patient, wait. He says, because the number of those that are going to die has not been reached yet. Now that's an interesting thing. One of the most amazing things about the earth is this, is that those who are a follower of the Lord, they are indestructible until God calls them home. And that's just the truth. The Lord says to them, I'm not going to avenge your blood on them right now because they haven't fulfilled the number. Here's the thing, there has never been a follower of God who has laid down his life for the cause who couldn't understand this, that the only way that this could happen is because God, my Father, is allowing it. And this is the path he's called me to walk, and I'm going to enter into the very inheritance of the Lord. When Jesus was being crucified, he said, you couldn't do this to me unless the Father had given this to you. That's right. And so we have that beautiful picture here once again. So we won't say them again until in Revelation chapter 20, it says this, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he took hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were completed, after these things, he must be released for a short time." Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads and on their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So I want you to understand this, that during the tribulation period that actually one of the primary means of execution is actually going to be beheading. That's kind of a gruesome thing, you know. Even as we were looking at this, I, I just thought about this week that we're actually talking in the United States about bringing back the firing squad. Did you see that? So like when we're looking at these kind of things that are going on, you're thinking that there, there is a, a disruption, an uncomfortableness, a, a brutality, you know, that's increasing upon the earth. And so Daniel spoke of this kind of thing. But then finally, let's look at the sixth seal that's being broken. And this sixth seal found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12, that when the sixth seal was broken, there was a great earthquake. Quake. The sun became as black as sackcloth, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, and as a fig tree drops its unripe figs, when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the eminent people and the commanders and the wealthy and the strong and every slave and free person hid themselves in the caves and asked for the rocks to fall on them. So this is all again just a reminder that the Bible says that when that sixth seal is broken... The stars, it says, are going to fall. Now, of course, we call them falling stars as well. It's not the stars that are out there. But in the New Testament, this is a meteorite. Meteors and meteorites are going to be hitting the earth. It's going to cause a darkness, a cloud, to to come over the earth. There's going to be great earthquakes. There's going to be trouble. The moon is not going to show its light. And that all of this, we understand, it was prophesied to all of us by by the prophet Ezekiel, said a darkness is going to come where the sun won't shine. The prophet Joel, said, a darkness is going to come and the sun's not going to shine. We see the prophet Isaiah said this, behold the day of the Lord is coming cruel to make the land a desolation. He will exterminate its sinners from it for the stars of heaven and the constellations will not flash their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. So I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their wrongdoings. I will also put on And then to the audacity of the proud and humiliate the arrogance of the tyrants. I just, I've obviously run out of time. The Bible then goes on to predict that there's another group of martyrs that's seen before the throne, and this isn't the Jews, but they're gathered from all the nations. And that they're ones that are going to say, as well, we're not willing to lay down our testimony a time of seven years, man, where the Lord is just saying, the Lord's saying, when I do this thing, that's why I believe that the church is caught out because the Lord said this will be the punishment of the world for the wicked. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. The other group of martyrs is 144,000. It's not the Jehovah's Witness. I'm sorry, it's not. The Lord says, before all this stuff happens and before you completely wipe out nature, I'm going to mark 112,000 people from each tribe of Israel. 12,000 from each tribe. And they're going to be marked and they're going to be set apart. And the knockoff white horse rider is going to say, I'm going to put a mark on them too. It'll be the mark of my name 666 on their forehead or on their hand. But the Lord says, I'm going to mark 144,000. I'm going to mark them with my name and it's going to be placed upon their forehead. And as the devil is telling the world you can't buy, sell, trade. You can't be a part. You can't participate in society or with your nations unless you receive my mark. Jesus is going to mark 144,000. And they're going to be set apart. I, I say all that to say that this is not a judgment that is for the church. This is a judgment where God is going to bring back his inheritance. In Revelation chapter 8 verse 1, finally we read, we read that the Lamb broke the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. The seventh seal released the seven trumpets. And we're going to be looking at the trumpets next that are going to be blasted during the seven-year period. And I just want to say this, though, before it happens, at the breaking of the seventh seal, all of heaven, and it's very possible that that's never happened before, for a half hour, which is long, if it's perfectly quiet, no voice of God from the throne, no voice of the Lamb, The cherubim are quiet. The seraphim are quiet. The angels that are in the midst of the throne that say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. They don't say a word. The multitude of the martyrs that are underneath the altar say nothing for a half hour. And at the same time, the multitudes from all the nations that came out of the time of great tribulation, nothing, everything, Perfectly quiet. And it's all in preparation for when God is going to say, It's mine now. Reflecting the words of Jesus when he said, I have come to make all things new. One of the primary reasons people struggle with God is they say, Why can there be a God and be war? Why can there how can there be a God and famine? How can there be a God and disease and death? and sorrow and lack, poverty, slavery, abuse. How can there be such things? Because Adam and Eve listened, and we all have listened, and decided we're going to be our own God. And when we did that, we figured out we can't hold on to this thing anymore. The world is figuring out right now we can't hold on to this thing anymore because we grabbed it. But all of heaven is going to go silent for a half hour in anticipation where Christ is going to come on his white horse, followed by the saints from the very beginning of time, the armies of the Lord. Jesus is going to stand. It says when the sun is darkened and the moon turns to blood because it's clouded, Jesus will come to Jerusalem, put one foot on Jerusalem and the other foot on the Mount of Olives. There'll be such a great earthquake. It's going to split the region. Water is going to gush up out of Jerusalem. It's going to flow to the Dead Sea through the Mount of Olives, and it's going to flow to the Mediterranean. But before that moment happens, God says, hey, let's all be quiet now. We're all going to get everything that we struggle for every price that was paid to worship the Lamb of God every sacrifice you made every time you lifted your voice and said I will not deny Jesus every time you stood up for what you believed in every time you said I will not be manipulated by mankind I will not care what anybody human being says of me I don't care what the cost I don't care how much I have to give If God is God and Jesus is the Lamb, all of heaven says, let's just be quiet for a half hour now. Let's just be quiet. Because we're about to get it all. How many of you are looking forward to being there and witnessing a half hour of silence? Let's all stand up. Father, I thank you that you are on the throne and that you live. I pray for every person that's here today, Lord. I share this word, Jesus, by your commandment. You said there's a blessing on reading and studying the book of Revelation. I pray, Lord God, that you would come and that you would speak to every heart and that there'd not be a person here in this room who's not ready to meet Jesus when he comes in the air. I thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. I thank you that you rule and reign even now. I thank you that you have the last word. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to ask you today, will you believe Will you believe what men, godly men of old, have been saying for generations, that a day is coming and that Jesus Christ is the answer? If you're ready to meet Jesus Christ as your Savior, If you want to receive the washing of the blood that he shed upon the cross, which is the symbol of him taking your punishment, my punishment for our sins. If you're saying today, I want to be washed clean of every offense in me that stands between me and God, and I want to be clean and I want the Holy Spirit to live inside of me and I want to be ready to meet the Lord if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do two things. First off, just raise up your hand, just acknowledging Pastor Jim, I want to be included in a closing prayer, and then if you raise your hand up. We'll pray together as a church, and I'm going to invite you to come forward in front of the people, just confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father who is in heaven. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand up for Jesus? I'm telling you what, if you do, you'll never regret it for all eternity. You'll be in heaven 10,000 years, and you're going to say, I'm so glad that on March 27th. I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm glad I didn't care about the person next to me. If you're here, you want to make Jesus your Savior, would you just lift up your hand just saying, I want today to be my day of salvation? If you're here today and you're ready to meet the Lord, just respond to Him. The Spirit of God will put a tug on your heart. He'll draw you, saying, This is what you need. Is that you? Father, I pray for these that are here today. And I ask God, let those who are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Make them strong, bold, courageous, filled with the spirit and filled with faith. I pray, Lord God, that they would not be just people of words, but people of action. I pray, Lord God, let obedience to you and your lordship Be their rallying cry, Lord, every day. Bless these people, Father God, and let them make a difference in the world. And I pray, Father, let their faith be strong until they're in the presence of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming today. If you need prayer for anything today, there'll be elders here in the front. They want to pray with you. If you were reluctant and you didn't pray to receive Jesus into your heart, you can still come forward. They'll pray with you, letting you know how you can be saved today. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming. Love you all. Bless you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.